his development. And a big part of what I see my ministry is about in these years that I have with my gray hair is, is encouraging the next generation coming through and uh, encouraging them to be able to be and to do the things that God has given them to be and to do. And Jono has a scholarship um, for theological training with the Anglicans. But I really see Jono as a son in the house, no matter what brand of denomination he has. He's come from us. And he's the son of Andrew and Jan who are sitting here today, and it's nice having you guys here at the moment, who are missionaries from this church. And so this is Jono's home church. And he was an intern here for a year, and he led the youth group here for almost a year as well in, in an interim time. And so for those reasons, I've invited him to come and speak today. But it, he also, his story is one that I think we will find incredibly helpful about finding our identity, because God wants us to know who we are. It's part of being able to rise up. And, and his story is quite unique, although there are many others in the world with it, but not many sitting in this room, because he's lived most of his life overseas in other cultures. And I want you to listen, and so I've invited him here to tell his story of how he found his identity and is continuing to find his identity, because I think it'll unlock things for us as we're seeking to find ours as well. So bless you, John. Looking forward to it. Thanks, John. No pressure. <laughs> um, I'd love to start with prayer if you guys are okay with that. Yeah. Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together this morning, to worship you, to glorify your name, and to hear more about who you are and what you're doing in the world around us. Yeah. Lord, we just offer this morning to you and trust that you will speak through me and that your Holy Spirit will be ministering to those who need to hear what is said this morning that anything else would fall away. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. So before I get stuck in, we were sitting in the prayer meeting this morning and I just had one or two pictures that I want to share with you if that's okay. Is that all right, John? Fantastic. Um, so we were praying. Well, I wasn't praying. I was listening to everyone praying and uh, really enjoying it. It was really interesting. But I just ask God everywhere I go, what are you doing? What's going on here? What are you doing in this place at this time? So it was really cool for me to get to come back here because John's right, this is home, this is the home church where we've been based out of my whole life and beyond. Um, so it's cool to be able to come back and see what God is doing. The picture that he showed me was this massive big, uh, what would you call it, castle, I guess, or stronghold or fortress with great big high walls going all the way around it. It's brain spanking new, nice and shiny, nice and shimmery. And then this banner just fell down on the front of it, the massive big flag. And it was as though God was saying, this, this place is a stronghold for me. This place is a stronghold for me. And I'm declaring that over this place today. God is declaring that over this place today, that this is a stronghold for him. And John was standing on top with a grin on his face that looked like he was the cat that licked the last bit of milk. But I'm excited to see what comes out of that. And as we were sitting here worshiping earlier, I just thought, um, God, that's so cool. What is, what's going to come out of that? What does that mean? What does that stronghold have for the community, for the people in this church, for the people that will come to this church? Uh, and again, you just gave me this picture of uh, a scorpion and the scorpion's tail being cut off 
so that it couldn't sting anyone. And once again, I just had that sense that this will be a place, a stronghold, a fortress where people can come and receive that blessing of having the sting of the enemy cut off and cut out. That it's not just for show, that it doesn't just stand there to be a really cool structure, a castle that you come and look at and then pay $2 to walk around inside, but that it actually has a function in the kingdom. So I want to encourage you in that and just entrust that God will continue to work all of that in what you do here. Right, let's dig in. So John's already mentioned that he's come, he's asked me to talk about how I found who I am, my identity. So I'm going to do that this morning. But before I dig into my story specifically, we want to dig into scripture because, of course, that's where everything starts. So we're reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through to 22. But we'll start with just the first few. So I'll give you a second. One, two, three. Fantastic. You should all be there. Brilliant. Of course. So beginning in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done by the body of the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, You who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he had put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I don't know about you, but if there was a group of people wandering around in church calling themselves the circumcision, I'd find that a little bit weird. (laughs) But that's exactly what's happening in the text. We see it there in Ephesus, uh, a group of Jewish Christians who were Jewish and converted to Christianity, and a group of Gentile Christians who had no affiliation to Judaism or Hebrew tradition at all and became Christians. Now, naturally, they were uncircumcised, and the Jewish people were circumcised. So this conflict erupted, basically, across the region, all over Europe, all over uh, the Middle East, all over North Africa, is this conflict of those who were circumcised and those who weren't, and what to do about it. Now, this particular letter would have been written about two or three decades after the Council of Jerusalem that you see in Acts 15. At this council, Paul and Peter and a number of the other apostles decided and voted together that circumcision would not be required of those who were Gentiles. They were free from that because Jesus had set them free from the law, from the things that had been demanded of them under the tradition, under the law of Moses. But being set free from this, it was decided they would no longer have to participate. So 
that was the decision, and 20 or 30 years later, they're still arguing about it. Who are they, and how do you tell? Is it because you're circumcised, or are you saved by Christ's blood on the cross? That's a debate that raged on for decades after it was already decided. It was already decided. The question of who's in and who's out. I know that in my life, in my experience, I certainly had to wrestle with this question in myself. Am I in or am I out? Do I belong here or do I belong there? As John's already alluded to, many of you know this, but I can see one or two new faces who perhaps don't. Uh, But I grew up mostly overseas. And living in China for the last eight years of my time overseas, that was home for me. Very much so. In my heart, it was home. But when I was 17, I had to come back here because mum and dad were moving to Thailand and it was either move there with them or come back here and get set up and get on with life. So I decided to do the latter. But in doing so, I spent four or five years after moving back just wrestling with that question of where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Am I in or am I out? In my heart, I was Chinese. But if you ask the Chinese person that, they would say that I'm out because I'm a white person whose passport says I'm from New Zealand, I'm not fluent in Chinese, and I have a limited visa. But if you asked a New Zealander, they might say that I'm in, but in my heart I knew that I wasn't because the culture is totally different. Everything has changed. Nothing is the same in my mind and my heart and who I am. The question of do I belong was no in both areas. So I spent years wrestling with that question. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? And where do I go with it? In wrestling with that question, I went to God with it time and time again and said, God, what do you have for me? Where do I belong? Where are we going together? Do you want me here or do you want me there? Over years of asking this question seemingly fruitlessly, not really getting an answer, one day the answer came. It may be a little bit frustrated, maybe you could have given me this answer earlier, God, but I think the reality is if he had, I wouldn't have listened to him. But the right time, he gave me the answer. His challenge to me wasn't, well, you're a New Zealander, deal with it. His challenge to me was actually, Jono, it doesn't matter. Who cares if you're Chinese or if you're a Kiwi? Who cares if you belong here or you belong there? Who cares where you're going and what you're doing? The only thing you need to know about who you are is that you're a a child of the kingdom of heaven. You're a citizen of my kingdom and everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary when your identity is secured in Christ and who he is. We continue in the text in Ephesians chapter 2, picking up at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Who's in and who's out? Who cares? It's pretty much what is said here. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you tick this box or tick that box. God has the answer, and the answer was on the cross. Your identity is not in who you are based on your nation, your family, your money, your car, your house, anything. Your identity, when you enter into this, this relationship with God, is solely based in Christ and in Christ alone. There's a key phrase in this passage that we just read, though, that really stands out to me. In verse 21, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the, in the Lord. And continues to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's this conflict that John was talking about just before, where we are sanctified, and yet we are being sanctified. We are holy and saints, and yet sinners. We are part of the body. We are part of the building. We are part of the church. We are part of Christ's bride, and yet we are still broken. It's this constant conflict of where do we belong? phrased and rephrased in unlimited different ways throughout scripture and throughout our experience in day-to-day life. It's this constant conflict. But it says here that we are part of the building joined together that rises to become a holy temple. We are being sanctified and made right with God. So what does that look like in our lives? How does that play out in the world around us and in our individual experiences? For each person, obviously, it's going to be a unique story, but I can tell you about my story and how that happened for me. I spent years, years seeking the answer that I got of, actually, you're part of my kingdom. But even before I got to that point, God challenged me in many different ways. I spent a year, a year and a half, roughly, living with a death phobia when I would have been about 14 13, 14. So basically, I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't walk down the street at night without panicking, starting to have panic attacks and freaking out that I was about to die or the world was just going to end just like that and everything would be done. It was completely illogical and based on a dream that I'd had, but it took me years to figure out why that had happened. The thing that kept me going through that, though, was not actually being afraid of dying. It wasn't, my life will be over, and I'm afraid of that. The thing that kept me going and actually made me afraid was the thing that God placed in me from the youngest age, a desire that he put within my heart to serve him, to speak for him, to say things on his behalf, to do what I'm doing now and preach and declare his word. But each and every time those 
panic attacks would come, the fear was not, I'm going to die. The fear was, I'm going to die without having said what God had given me to say. Without having done what God had given me to do. Without having been who he'd created me to be. Missing out on the opportunity he'd put in front of me. So I began listening and seeking and asking him in those circumstances, God, what do you have for me to say? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to be? Let's go and do that. Let's go and do that. So each and every time, which was nearly daily, which mom and dad probably didn't even know, um, that I was having these panic attacks and freaking out that I'm about to die, I would pray and say, God, what do you have for me to say? And eventually he gave me a dream that I wasn't expecting at all. The first time, I can remember the first time I ever had to speak in front of a group of people was at our church in Chengdu in the city we lived in in China. And I got asked to help out with, it, with a short drama. Literally, my only responsibility was to sit on a stool and read a line off a piece of paper, and I couldn't even do that. I was shaking, I was trembling, couldn't get the words out, everything was wrong. So I knew, and I said to God many times, I don't want to do that. I will do anything for you. I will go anywhere in the world you want me to go, but I won't preach on Sundays. <laughs> Please don't make me do that. So with God's great sense of humor, every time I asked him what he wanted me to say and what he wanted me to do, uh, he was drawing me deeper and deeper in, I believe, to a desire to actually know that and pursue that. So the dream that he eventually gave me in response to that question I can remember like I had it last night. A group of friends and I in this dream gathered together to go to a karaoke bar, which was common in China. It's not that weird there. It's a pretty, pretty normal thing. I can't sing, but that's okay. Did it anyway. Um, but we went to go to this karaoke bar, and when we got there, for some reason it wasn't just a karaoke bar with a small room, a TV, and some really awful speakers. Instead, it was a boxing arena. And in the middle of the boxing arena was obviously a boxing ring. And there were, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of chairs all the way around the place. And there was a decent-sized crowd there, all doing the same thing, all getting together to sing and to express themselves and just have a good time. I'd never seen anything like it, and I didn't really understand why it was happening, but I just went with it. We all lined up and gave our songs and sat and waited, and I watched as my friends got up and had their turn one after another after another. And as it got to my turn, for some reason, even though I can't sing, I wasn't nervous at all. But I got up, the music started playing, I'm pretty sure it was an Elvis song of some description. <laughs> and as I held the microphone and went to start singing, something changed. The music stopped and I started preaching. There was no song, there was no music, it was just me preaching. And I knew that people there weren't Christians. I knew that people there had no interest in any of that kind of thing. They didn't go there for that. They went there to have some fun with their friends doing karaoke. But they all sat. And they all listened. And these words were coming out of my mouth and I didn't know where they were coming from because I can't do that. I'm the kid who sat on a stool, shaking, barely able to get the words out of his mouth trying to read them off a page. 
how could I stand there and say things and people sit and listen and not only listen, but listen to things that they hadn't even been interested in hearing that night, that they weren't even there to hear and continue to engage with it. I knew in that moment that this was something God had given me. This was a dream that he had given me, a vision that he had given me for the future, something that he wanted me to do with my life in answer to the question that I'd been asking him time and time again. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Who do you want me to be? I asked and he answered. What I did next was my choice entirely. I could have ignored it. I could have pretended like, no, that's not true. That was just a dream. It was just some stupid thing that I thought of in my own head. And I probably would have been right if I had believed that and lived that way. But instead I made the decision to pursue it, to run after it, and to let it become who I am, to let who God says I am be who I am. I wonder how many of us can actually sing the lines of that song we were singing earlier, I am who you say I am, and mean it. Not just sing it, but mean it. With every fiber of your being, mean it. I am who you say I am. I know I can't wholeheartedly do that every single day. I can when I'm standing here right now because I'm doing exactly what I know he's called me to do. But there are plenty of days when that's still a struggle. So the question that I have for you is, are you ever in a place where you can wholeheartedly say to God, right now I am exactly who you say I am? Have you listened and responded to what God's saying in your life, to his challenge for you, or even sought his challenge for you to be who he says you are and to do what he's asked you to do, no matter how big or how small, no matter how relevant or irrelevant it might seem to you, how realistic or unrealistic, are you who he says you are or are you running from it? The solution for me was to listen to God, to hear his command and to allow that to transform me instead of forcing it to transform to what I wanted to do with my life. Learning to submit to him and seek his will over my own and genuinely pursue that each and every day. Learning to give up certain things, to deal with my insecurities, my fears, my failures and give them to God and trust him with everything that remains. Trust him with everything that would come moving forward. Relinquishing certain desires that would not have led me to where God wanted me to go. And allowing myself just to be who he said I am. In my study last semester, uh, I studied Hebrew, and I learned a particular word that has sort of been my buzzword for the year. And the word is shemach. It means to listen. Literally translated to listen. But in the Hebrew, it's got so much more depth and beauty to it than just listen. It means to listen and to hear and to respond. It's not just a matter of saying, yeah, I, I comprehend what you're saying, God. It's not just a matter of, I can hear what you're saying right now, Jono, I understand it. 
I'm on board, that's cool. That's great if you are, and that's great if you do. But what are you doing about it? How have you responded to what God has said to you? When you've listened, how have you responded? What have you done? And once you've responded, once you've shemacht, when you've listened, you've heard, you've responded. In my experience, the next option was to submit myself and surrender to God's will, to God's leading, to God's guiding, and where he was wanting to take our relationship and my life with him. So how did I find who I am? I listened. I responded. And I surrendered. I wonder if God is calling you wherever you are at, because this is an endless cycle of listening, responding, and surrendering. I wonder if he's calling you right now in your life, in your individual circumstance, to listen, or to respond, or to surrender. I imagine most of you will either consciously or unconsciously know exactly what God has given you, exactly what he's calling you to do. Have you listened? And if you have, have you responded? And if you have, have you surrendered? In my experience, these three questions are always relevant to our journey with God, where he's leading us, where he's guiding us, and what the future holds for each of us as an individual. So I'd implore you this morning to consider each of those questions for yourself and decide in your own understanding and your own relationship with God and his leading and guiding, no matter how many times you have to ask him, which one is relevant for you. Let me close in some prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for your love, for your goodness, for your grace for your mercy. I thank you that you are more than able to lead us and guide us in our own lives, in our own understanding, to help us to more fully realize who we are in you and what you're calling us to do as individuals. Lord, I ask that you would give us the wisdom to shema, to listen to you, to respond, and to surrender and submit ourselves to your will and your way. Give us the courage to step out in you, to step out in you beyond our comfort zones and into who you say we are. That we would be able to sing wholeheartedly, I am who you say I am. I ask all of these things in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us?